Hey, Dr. Bill Sinyard here. Uh, this is Advent for our podcast. I'm actually going to put this in all three of the podcasts, The Gospel Rant, The Forgiving Path, and Haven't Heard That Before, because it's Advent, right? Uh, a lot of fun. And uh, by the way, this will probably end up being one of the sessions in the new small group Bible study. Haven't heard that before, but hey, let's get back to Christmas. So as I'm putting this podcast together, we're only a month away from Christmas. It's going to be a strange year, right? 2020, we all know it's it's a COVID Christmas. I haven't heard any Christmas jingles about that, but should be. No one knows if we can gather. No one knows what it's going to look like. I saw a CDC study last month about what COVID has done for mental health. And compared to June 2019, anxiety disorder is up 315%. That's June, right? Uh, ridiculous. Depressive disorder is up 374%. Suicide ideation, oh my goodness, has doubled. It's going to get worse in July and August and September. And now with the new shutdowns, uh, I mean, we, we have to be able to handle this. And we in the church, we evangelicals, we Christians need to be able to apply the gospel. And we really don't know how to do that. That's our passion here at the Gospel App. And the beast in all of our heads, right, that critic voice is in a euphoric state because everything is what that beast says. See, I told you. One arm behind its nasty back today, it can disrupt our peace and joy. Just really easy. And it's just piling on. But the spirit is also dwelling in our inner being, that powerful face of God who dares to gaze into my weary, beat up eyes and make me look up uh, and hope to see relational joy. That takes a miracle. Uh, with all this anxiety and depression. Uh, but that's not a problem for him. And by the way, the COVID is not a real problem for him because this is him. This is what he does. He raises beat up, abused eyes. He's, he's seen beat up, abused eyes before of his beloved. That's us, we Christians, in the midst, even in the midst of terrors of COVID. By the way, especially in the midst of the suffering of COVID. When we do look up, empowered through the Spirit, right? That's a miracle. Check out Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Look, we, we have this reaction. Our eyes light up, our, our pupils dilate spiritually, our face becomes flush, and we feel loved and secure. And there's hope. So my challenge for this Advent podcast was to find such a joyful, corrective gaze in the Christmas story. By the way, piece of cake. So let me give you the context. A righteous maid finds herself pregnant in self-righteous, shame-prone Israel. Right? Humanly speaking, big problem. And remember, Israel was deeply rooted in the honor-shame culture. Honor's good, shame's bad. And if you're too shamed, you, you can't pull back. For a young woman, your one job is to stay chaste until you're married to a, a righteous man, right? And there was nothing, nothing more important or critical for you to do. For those of you who succumb to the flesh, or even those of you who have been abused or raped, there was only shame before you. No righteous man would consider the stain of joining with you. They wouldn't. Uh, their reputation and their family's reputation is sacrosanct. So you would know that you brought shame upon your family, your mother, your, your father, your siblings, even your tribe. Well, then there was Mary, and her situation was clearly a big misunderstanding in some ways, right? Because it wasn't her fault, and it wasn't fair. Uh, there was no sex, but there it is. 
And the city and the city fathers just wouldn't hear of anything of the sort. Angel. Yeah, right. Right. God spoke. Yeah, of course he did. Right. She would have had every human reason to be frustrated uh, with the city fathers, with the tribal leaders, with God, or to be angry. Come on, God, what are you doing? And there's nothing in the text that would give her hope that her family was going to intervene and change their mind, was willing to take up her side of the story, or is willing to sacrifice their honor. That's a big deal to come alongside of her. You know, uh, we've got your back, Mary. You know, all for one, one for all. Her betrothed, Joseph, was set to pull the plug. And in his culture, it made sense. He had to worry about his name and reputation as well. Well, what would you do? But there's something inside of Mary's head, I mean, eventually, and I have no doubt that she would have struggled with shame and depression and frustration, a sense of loss of all hope for a normal life. I mean, all of her hopes and dreams would have been shattered, she thought. Uh, Something happened and her life was changed. Unmarried moms had very few options in first century Israel. She could become a prostitute or a beggar, and that's about it. But that's not what happens in her brain. Listen to Luke one forty six. This is crazy. Mary says, my soul, right? My beat up soul, my fractured soul, my disappointed soul, my soul glorifies the Lord. Glorifies megaluno. And it means technically to cause to be held in great esteem through praise or deeds. So you could say exalt, uh, glorify, magnify, speak highly of. So I like the last one. My soul, for my part, I'm going to speak highly of the Lord. Uh, verse 47. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Agaliao uh, rejoices. It means to be exceedingly joyful. I mean, she's tripping, right? Overjoyed. My spirit is just overjoyed in God, my Savior. And by the way, Savior, don't think uh, being lifted to heaven, converted. Think of being lifted from her societal position of shame, right? Uh, Exiled, outcast, failure, where she just couldn't change. She couldn't fix it. And then in that, in the midst of that shame, giving birth to the Messiah, that gives her an amazing honor, right? And relationship with God. So she's saved back to a relationship of honor, at least with God. And so she explains in verse 48, for God has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. For God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Well, humble state is a reasonable interpretation of the Greek, but often the word leans to the humiliating side of the spectrum. And look, that fits with her. She's been living in humiliation and fear of even more humiliation. That's Probably why she left Nazareth to be exiled in the hill country with her cousin and even further out in the sticks. And and look, you could interpret this as she just needs to hide for a few months with cousin Elizabeth. In an honor-shame culture, to be found pregnant out of wedlock was an act of shame and humiliation, not just for yourself, but for your entire family. I mean, I'm sure the whole family took a vote and said, Mary, look, you got to you got to go. But from now on, Mary says, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, verse 49, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Her testimony, as strange as it sounds to our modern relational ears, is that now her Savior God has transformed her humiliation into honor. That's what God does, right? And you could quip, yeah, but he caused the humiliation in the first place by making her pregnant. Well, 
Uh, yeah, in one sense. But in another sense, listen, she and her people were already in humiliation, she, right? She didn't have to be talking about her pregnancy. The people of Israel had been slave to Rome. They were being treated very poorly. Uh, they had very little uh, honor in the culture, in the country, in their in their cities. The previous King Herod had brutally murdered so many of the men in her region and her family when they rebelled under his harshness, and, and he crushed them. He humiliated them. And not to mention, Mary, did you know this, is of the royal blood, King David, and she's functionally living in royal exile in Nazareth, not Jerusalem. And look, if you've ever been there, you, when you think of Nazareth, it's in a bowl uh, off the beaten path. I mean, it's it's up in the hills. It's hidden away. Uh, it, it is so close to the lucrative international highway and so far. So Nazareth is in poverty, even though the, the merchants on the international highway, really a mile away, are doing pretty fine. Someone described the Nazarenes as mice hiding from the cats that surrounded them. See, that's the humiliation. And they couldn't help it. They couldn't fix it. So there's humiliation galore even before pregnancy. So she was already a humiliated, beat up, hopeless woman and a humiliated, hopeless demographic, right? Woman living in uh, humiliated, hopeless people, Israel. But something's changed and something's gotten into her head. There's been a transformation, not what most humiliated people sound like. All right. I'm going to read a chunk from verse 50 to 55. She's speaking about God. God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And you could have, you could say honored the humiliated, right? Her. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Well, when did he help... Israel. Well, she's Israel, right? And the Messiah has been born. So God is in the process of lifting the humiliated. She's a metaphor for that. Uh, so he has helped his servant Israel, remembering the, to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. She said, see, God said he would do it, and he did it. And I'm just a vessel. So the episode of Mary is a portrait of what we can feel when impregnated by his spirit. All right, I'm just going to let that sit so you can chomp on that a bit. But this is what God does. And by the way, not the pregnancy thing, but the impregnating with his spirit. That was, with the Mary thing, was a once-for-all time thing. Don't expect that again. Uh, by the way, a uh, little cultural history lesson. The Druze in Israel still believe that God is coming, the Messiah is coming, and God's going to impregnate a man with the Messiah, <laughs> right? So they, the men, wear flowing, baggy robes. Uh, fascinating, right? Okay, but I digress. God's MO is to lovingly pursue the humiliated and do what it takes to raise them to stunning honor, far greater than they deserved or could ever accomplish on their own. And Mary's realizing that that's happening in her life. You know, there's, there's some, uh, you know, downsides to it early on, but this is what's happening in her life. And God doesn't do it from a distance. 
this is this is so important. We're not deist. He doesn't do it from a distance. He's hands on. He's intimate. He's face to face. And this is important for the humiliated. When the humiliated finally look up into the smiling and shining face of God. Right. Remember the still face video. If you've seen any of our uh, curriculum, their mirror neurons in their brain reflect uh, relational joy. It transforms them. And Mary puts words to it. When did she look into the shining face of God? Well, this is not exactly that, but pretty close, close, I mean, really close. Listen, this happened when she fled Nazareth in her humiliation and exiled with her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John, right? Soon to be the the Baptist. Verse 39 of chapter 1 of Luke. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, and leaped is skirtao, which is an exuberant springing motion. I mean, babies always jump. This is bigger. This signifies great joy. Uh, Think of a dance. So Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, and Mary saw that as a response to her presence. So it's as if when she enters the room, she looks into the eyes of God, and his pupils dilate, his arms reach out, and he runs to Mary and hugs her and makes her feel important. That's, that's the feel of this, uh, using John the Baptist as a baby. So this is, this is great. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, literally filled to the full of the Holy Spirit. She was filled to the full of the Holy Spirit. Imagine, right? That didn't happen a lot, at least it's recorded. Spirit filling happened before. Uh, There was uh, the Old Testament temple artist, Bezalel, in Exodus 31. There's Joshua, Deuteronomy 34. Judge warriors, Samson, Othniel, and Gideon. King Saul and King David. Prophets Ezekiel and Micah. Uh, then there's the unnamed group of prophets in 1 Samuel 10. Well, all right, as you heard that, did you pick up a pattern? Uh, yeah, they're all men. Now, I don't want to take away from the prophetic works of Old Testament women prophetesses, and there were many, right? The Judge Deborah, Prophetess Miriam, Isaiah's unnamed wife in Isaiah 8. There's the Prophetess Huldah in 2 Kings 22. But it seems that the first woman recorded by the text to be filled to the full with the Holy Spirit was Elizabeth. Great honor. And it seems like it's... It was a direct expression of the relational joy of God towards Mary when she entered the room. Imagine. Certainly, Mary would have felt lifted up and honored and special and blessed. Mary got to experience God's joy with her, for her, embracing her, relational joy in the middle of her shame, but it's totally the opposite of shame, the opposite of the shame that she felt And her people had felt for generations. It's the opposite of the humiliation that she was running away from. Isn't this great? Verse 42. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Uh, Meaning, Mary, you're not humiliated. 
I know it feels like it. You're not a shamed one. Uh, in an honor-shame culture, it feels like you're being humiliated. I get that. But, oh, no, 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 you're an honored one. You're a favored one. What other woman has ever experienced such relational joy from God? None. Zero. Just Mary. Verse 43. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And, and you know, a couple of things, you know, he did say you're pregnant, but that's going to be easy. She can't stop that. But she's believing that she, in the middle of humiliation, she actually can feel honored and adored by God. That's a bigger deal, right? Pregnancy is going to happen. Well, here's the pattern. God pursues the humiliated, the outcast, the helpless, the lonely, the, the suffering, the low caste, those shamed by sickness or family or their choices or the color of their skin, what's been done to them. Not the righteous. He pursues the unrighteous, and he makes it his personal goal to raise that person from shame and humiliation to honor. That's Advent. This is the Advent story. Isn't that what happened to you when you were converted? Of course it was. And is today and tomorrow, even sometimes it feels uh, like you're in the middle of humiliation. God's going to use that. And by the way, uh, the, the whole point is not to raise you or me up to a place of probation. You know, you, you chance two or three or 250. No, he raises us up and makes us his own, his beloved, his adopted son or daughter, with full honor and favor, filled with his spirit, filled with, or at least access, uh, we can access the relational joy from the spirit at least every now and then. And that's a great Christmas present. All right? Well, uh, that's enough. I want to say Merry Christmas to you from the Gospel App Ministry uh, and the Forgiving Path and the Dance. Go ahead and share this podcast with friends and families. It could be encouraging this time around, particularly in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Just pass the good news around. God can use this. And we'll get back to the the flow of the podcast in 2021 and in the Gospel Rant, back to the microaggressions in Romans. All right? So take heart, child of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.